Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, friends. It's Amber, and I just want to pop on to say thank you to all those of you who've been supporting us on Patreon. You can give $2, $3, $5 a month to be a part of or our- Or $100 a month. Or $100, you know, it's your world, squirrel. And we do want to welcome one new patron, Kitty. Kitty, I love your name. Welcome to the party. Also, this is the week where me and Vin did the book raffle for the award-winning novel, New Sons, also edited by Nisi Shaw, who we have had on the Sci-Fi side. Ben, drum roll, please, for who won that raffle. Tracy! Oh. Oh, we were, I was supposed to drum roll first, then yeah, we, we were say gonna the drum roll name. together. It's drum roll. Okay, let's try this again. One, two, three. Drum roll, please. Tracy, you won. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. We're gonna send you that collection of short stories. They're great. It's just one book, uh, a collection of short stories. It won the World Fantasy Award. Period, Pooh. And we're also going to write you a personal letter and thank you for your support. So we will be Which I didn't know we were doing. Sorry, I keep on interrupting you, Amber. We're also going to send you a personal letter directly to you. And so I will direct message you with the information where you want the book sent and uh, where you want this letter sent. Ben, you knew about the letter, right? No, I didn't. (laughs) Which is fine. I'll write. I'll write Tracy a letter. No problem. You write the most beautiful letters, though. So yeah, to you, to you. Well, and, to and you. others uh, apparently, because you. you know you've been keeping your letters from your exes. But anyway, let's keep this about Tracy. Congratulations, Tracy, and those of you who are still patrons, stay in the fight because we're going to take Tracy's name out of the running, but we will keep your name in the running because we will be doing a monthly book giveaway. Okay, let's get started with the show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Sci under the Believe Podcast Network about Black science fiction, fantasy and staying on the same page in our marriage. Today for episode 41, we'll be discussing the 2018 film Sorry to Bother You, directed by Boots Riley, starring Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. Just so you know, before we get started, there will be spoilers, but this also came out in 2018, so take your ass to go see this movie. It is on Hulu, right, Ben? We watched it on Hulu. That is correct. Okay, before we dive deep into this uh I tried to make a, a horse pun and it didn't come to me. So this never ending story of horse greatness. <laughs> ben, how you been doing this week, baby? Baby cakes? Uh I don't I don't know how I've been doing. What you mean? I haven't engaged in metacognition in a little while. What does that even mean? Metacognition is the process of thinking about how you think or how you are doing, you know? I mean, you, you've been having me work. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. What are you talking about? You've been about? having me work. I get off for a summer vacation, and then Amber tells me, okay, well, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. You have to do that. Okay, what's an example of one thing I've asked you to do? Go outside in the pouring rain and help you film a plant singing video. Uh, I don't know. Uh... uh how is helping the love of your life make a, you know, 54-second video work for you? No, it's, it's, no, I enjoy it. You just have me working. That's what I've been up to. You're That's a director. Not even that much time out of your life. No, it's not. Not at all. I love it. So what would you be doing? What would your dream summer day be? Just sit around and read all day. And not, and me not talk to you. No, no, you could talk to me. Just, not asking you for no no not at all no you can talk to me but we could do i the idea would be like read 
an entire book one day. The okay. next day, do a book discussion with the love of my life. Which and then, I do every week. For, right. And I have been doing for 41 weeks. Uh, well, we, I mean, preferably just science fiction and fantasy books, not, not movies, movies and films and other things. Anyway, point being, uh, yeah, you so just- So I ain't shit. You are, you are the <laughs> shit. And you have me working. That's what I've been up to. I, it's don't don't put a value judgment, good or bad. It's just summers for lots of people for teachers are really not summers off. We usually go to the dentist, or we work a second job, or their partner has them create content and do filming, and which I love. I love. It's just okay. Well, how about this? How about I, I give you a week off of TikTok? Then? No, no. I no. It's fine. I you, like you doing sound this. Very distraught and tired like, and overwhelmed, and I don't want to impede on your summer, baby. I love you, baby. No, impede and literally pee all over me oh and pee God. all over me. Benjamin James. So what you so what you want a bitch to do? You want to be left the hell alone, or do you want to be put to work? Because it's no. work to make the magic that we make. Well, you. Let you let me choose the films and books we read for the most part, right. and the the movie we watched is literally my favorite movie. Right. It is my favorite movie, bar none. I love this movie. Gosh, I just what more do you want from me? I think I could watch this movie. I might watch it again. I loved it. I well, we we saw it the first time it came out in theaters. Look at you mm-hmm. trying to segue into the the show. I appreciate that. We saw it the first time in theaters in 2018, but seeing it again in 2020, just there are so many things that hit different, which we will talk about. 2021. Oh shit! Oh, seeing it again in 2021, um, there are so many things that just hit different after a year of protests, after a year of army hammer tea so uh i'm excited to get into that but before we get into that ben i just want to give a little i'll make it quick we got an apple podcast rating for those of you out there thinking like hey i like emma ben i want to support them but b i ain't got no motherfucking money i hear you i see you i am you here's one way that you can help out you can write an apple podcast rating this apple podcast rating comes from twilly 5844 sci-fi fun Listening to this podcast lets the listener overhear really fun conversationalists who discuss books and movies in a way that I enjoy. Sometimes I seek out reading slash watching what they discuss, but most often I just enjoy spending time with them. I wound up binging most of the episodes because they are in they are so engrossing. Yes, we love it. We're gross. I we love it. We are engrossing. And you know what, y'all? We did. Our vision was to make this show so that people could interact with the content or not uh, interact with the content as in like what we're reading or whatever. So hopefully people have been like, hey, I haven't read it yet, but their conversation is making me want to read it one day or watch it or see it. Do you agree, Ben? I would prefer if everyone did the fucking work and read and watched everything we did. I'm just, well, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> let's make, let's make this because people have lives. They have, they do. you know, and I love, I love that this show is so accessible to people, whether they have the time to read or watch uh, the media that we're part, you know, or the creations that we're participating. And also some things we literally don't want you to go and watch. And there was one book that we would not recommend anybody reading. <laughs> right, baby. Yeah. Stop. So I that author has a lot of uh friends who or like other authors that I really like and enjoy. So we have to be careful who we No one celebrate. is above critique. 
No one, you're right, you're right. No one is above critique. Uh, well, I just want to say that we appreciate you saying that. I hope the show continues to be accessible. It will be because, you know, my ass can't access half of the shit Ben be talking about. Um, I also want to just do a quick call back to last week. I had someone reach out and say, I went to high school with her. It was Jillian. Jillian, you're out there listening. I love you. Keep messaging. Shout out 706 Athens all day. Westside. All right. Um, let's get back into the book. Ben, so what do we watch? And talk to me a little bit about the background. So I'd heard of this movie, Sorry to Bother You, from a podcast that I listened to called The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And I had no idea that it had a fantastical element to it. So I saw it pop up on my you know, weekly downloads of Geek's Guide. I said, oh, okay, there must be something deeper going on. Amber and I went and saw it. And we were blown away when we first saw this. We were like, what in the literal fuck? Because the first, I would say, like three-fourths of the movie is sort of a sidestep future tale or a sidestep alternate history. So basically, alternate history has has lots of, like, subgenres. You know, like, you have really big alternate histories, like The Man in the High Castle, which is Philip K. Dick's novel in which uh, the Nazis and uh, the Japanese won World War II, right? That's a huge alternate history. And then you have smaller alternate histories, like sorry to bother you where things are just a little bit different or what we call like a step to the right or to the left of our world and that would fall into that uh genre of alternate history and yeah we loved it but i want to go back to something that you mentioned before which was um get them notes together oh yeah 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 so yeah so that's sort of that's where i first heard of this movie and yeah let me give you a short little summary so it's the alternate future of Oakland, uh, like I said, a little bit to the side of our reality. It's about a uh, a young man, Cassius Green, and his girlfriend, uh, played by uh, Tessa Thompson, Troy, or Detroit, and their struggle just to make it in a world in which it's really hard to make money and to simply live. And so both of them end up working at a call center that uh, ends up trying to unionize. However, Cassius Green discovers that he has an incredible white voice, which enables him to become a power caller. And he ends up moving up from the basement, which is like basic call center, to the call centers where where you sell weapons to war warlords and, and slave labor um, from the corporate antagonists of the entire film, uh, Worry Free. And uh, then finally, Cassius Green, you know, Cash is Green, decides to betray his friends oh and, and to, you know, but, you know, betray, betray the proletariat, his girlfriend, um, Troy and his friend Squeeze and Sal and decides to become a scab when the basement call center tries to unionize. And he decides to become a power caller and sell himself to capitalism. And eventually he discovers that the organization worry-free is way more insidious than just selling slave labor and guns to warlords. And we will get into that. But yeah, let's go into our first impressions. But I thought it would be more fun to have our first impressions being like, what hit differently watching this the second time? Um. Okay, so after, like I said... Uh, you know, we're here in 2021 after a year of 
the summer of all of the George Floyd protests, which there have always been, you know, big protests after killing of black men. I, I remember I went to my first one when uh, Trayvon Martin was killed when I was in college. Uh, but last summer was the big one where it's like non-black people were at these protests. So it was interesting to sort of see that uh, th- those protests like take fire and go viral in um, this film when things were happening with the union workers. So that hit a little bit different in a positive way, um, I think. Uh, I don't know. I just felt more connected to the protests this time around than I did when I saw the movie in 2018, even though there were definitely protest-worthy causes happening then. Right. Even now, we have uh, black TikTok dance creators who are withholding their labor from Mm -hmm. creating dances, right? They're essentially going on strike. And it seems... At, at the time of this coming out, I was in the middle of unionizing at my school. Mm-hmm. And that is really everything about this film overshadowed that experience for me. Can you explain um, the black TikTok dance creator strike for those who might not be super familiar with it? Oh, yeah, sure. So essentially, black creators, black dancers specifically, make really awesome, incredible dances on TikTok. And then what happens is usually young white girls, cis white women, um, and cis white young girls will take that dance and they'll go viral for it. And since TikTok pays you per view, what happens is that the white creators have stolen from the black creators and get the money for it. So they get the recognition. And so I'm not exactly sure what this strike is hoping to accomplish, but from what I understand... By withholding that their labor, they're hoping that TikTok will respond in such a way that they'll start copy- copywriting some of the dances so that if you or, or requiring creators to tag uh, the original creator, right? So the, I think two things need to happen. Dances need to be copyrighted and the requirement of the original creator needs to be tagged. Yeah, I think what the creators are working to do, the black creators, they're trying to just raise awareness about how much like black culture, like the the effect that black culture has on TikTok so that because um, because they're specifically to, to my understanding, you know, I'm 30 years old trying to like make sense of everything that's going on on TikTok. But to my understanding, they are currently like refusing to create a dance for Megan Thee Stallion's new hit that shit, which is uh, incredible. Um to see, like, let's see what happens when we don't make the art for y'all to steal. Like, will y'all make it on your own or whatever? And and there has been a pretty clear, like, no, the art's just not being made. The dance is just not being created from from what I can see on uh, Black Twitter and how it's circulating. But, yeah, I, I think it's in the same way of, like, union workers where it's like, if we go on strike, let's see the impact of our business. Like, when when we withhold our energy, when we withhold our creativity. Oh well, yeah. Well, this do you, do you not think the TikTok creator strike is as useful as like the one in the like union workers? Like, I just would love to hear your general thoughts about that. Well, it's complicated, right? Like because technically, I think legally, it's not a strike because these black creators are not employed by TikTok. So I think mm-hmm. it asks some really in like important questions. Like, is TikTok your employer right and i think tiktok mm. that that's the yeah. question right if and 
because they are creating creators. So if they are a an employer, then I don't know. It, it gets complicated sticky. complicated because TikTok will, as we've seen, you know, some of the payment that you get is not all monetary, you know. Like, yeah, TikTok does pay creators, but the exposure and the access that you get. So if some like can I think you can still call someone your employer if they expose you to resources as well. And those resources have been withheld from you when you see other people on your level get promoted to, you know, power caller, essentially, by no merit of their own. It's like. If, we, if we're relating it back to the movie, it's like Lakeith Sanfield learned how to even like use his white voice, which we'll unpack, I'm sure, because it's not just like the tone. It's just the whole essence of it. He learned that from another caller. He didn't create that on his own. He just took a little bit of advice, a little bit of, um, you know, notes from another caller and then became a power caller and then likes to do this whole like, well, I worked hard to get here and whatever. So it's interesting. Yeah. Also, I think unions, I hope unions are becoming more popular now. Mm -hmm. For example, the unionization of video game developers is very much on its way. I just uh, listened to an interview um, by a writer who, who wrote about the history of video game burnout because these software companies will literally create a business just to make a single game. And once that game is created, they fire all the workers immediately what yeah that's like standard in the video game industry and i need to i'll i'll put the episode in the show links i think everyone should go check it out really fascinating um interview what this this uh researcher was saying like it is inevitable that video game developers are going to unionize it's inevitable yeah because of this idea of the worker who does all the heavy lifting not being paid equitably and and what this, you know, this movie shows is uh, that when workers try to unionize, there's very specific union busting techniques that Boots Riley knew about. Like, it's so clear that this man has been around organizers. He himself has done organizing in Oakland. And so that movie really, really uh, sort of, you know, um, hit hard the first time I watch it, watched it and even the second time watching it. Uh, the frustration and anger that I experienced at the school I was trying to unionize, like even now I'm glad I went through that. Like looking back at it, the Mm -hmm. fight was worth it. Um, It also just, (laughs) just seeing it again, just brought up lots of memories of actual conversations I had. Like there are conversations verbatim uh, that the main union organizer uh, squeeze has with, other characters in the show. And I, and I loved that. The other thing that really um, was great is that there is this performance art scene that when we first saw it, Amber and I like, were I like, like, what, what the fuck? Oh. Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> but that entire performance art scene revolves around a line from a great movie that Amber and I watched for this podcast called The Last Dragon. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, essentially, the performance art scene for me hit harder and it's about women being monetized and being sold and not receiving all of the profits and it's tessa thompson just kills it for making money off of their bodies and it's like but you're making money off of my body too yeah 
So it it uh, Tessa Thompson uh, playing the character Troy. Detroit. Uh, b- but goes by Troy most of the time. Well, no, when they shorten it, it's Detroit or Troit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Troit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, As opposed to Troy. Yeah, Troit. sorry. Troy, Troit. Mm-hmm. Uh, did Detroit, and she she repeats this line in The Last Dragon where this woman uh, leaves sort of the main evil uh, villain, Eddie Arcadian. And uh, you're going to have to read it because she, the actress has like a very thick New York accent. Would yes. you do a better thick New York accent than me? Which don't make no motherfucking sense because you are a Long Island all day. Yes, well, we, if, if you listen to our Last Dragon episode, I definitely put this clip of her saying this in here, but like, okay, she says it basically like this. <clears throat> and in the end, Eddie, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided midget asshole with dreams of ruling the world. Yeah, also from Kew Gardens. And also getting by on my tits. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. <laughs> that scene, and also it becomes this entire reference about how Africa is used to literally harvest the main mineral used to make cell phones. And there's this whole line where Troy is saying to her boyfriend as he's like having a hard day at work selling, you know, weapons to warlords about how, you know, capitalism began on um, African slave labor. And he's like falling asleep as she's trying to, you know, give this entire presentation. And I didn't pick up on a lot of this the first time I watched it. I thought it was just like, you know, too artsy, fartsy you know, performance art. But for me, that entire scene started to mean something completely different. And that scene also happens where people are like throwing cell phones and balloons filled with blood. And it's a very shocking scene. And it's a very uncomfortable scene. But the scene started to mean a lot more Mm -hmm. to me that that second time. Yeah, well, I had never really, you know, this is funny that I bring this up because you're going to remember this. So I never really knew much about performance art until we saw this movie. One time in the middle of the pandemic, Ben and I watched this performance art piece done by Yoko Uno, where she sort of said to the audience, like, here's some scissors. I'm going to sit up here in a garment and I want each member of the audience, like, as you like to come up here and cut a piece of the garment off of me. I think that was her. Remember? Oh, Yoko Ono. Yoko yeah. Ono. That's what I said. You said Uno. Yoko Ono. I apologize. And so you... Great game, though. And so you, you watch this performance piece, and I, I sort of never understood, I, I guess, moving art before that. But um, Tessa Thompson, this was the first time I saw it, and I was like, oh, here's the message and the power in this, even though she's getting like physically hurt by this audience that's all a part of the artwork and I thought that was scene was really cool I I have a better appreciation for it now based on like the Yoko Ono piece that I've seen before versus like when I first saw this movie in 2018 right and and before uh, Detroit goes and works at the call center with her boyfriend she is literally selling with her tits like Tessa Thompson is absolutely gorgeous and before she makes calls, she is twirling signs and like literally dancing, you know, like shaking her butt and doing exactly um, mirroring essentially what she quotes in her performance piece, right? And also the thing is, 
I think we're led to believe that at first Detroit is sort of just like the hot girl, right? You know, yeah, she yeah, she's, she's still that, yeah. I mean, she is still that, but there are all these hints that she is super progressive and she like is a vigilante at she's night. a vigilante at night and she wears things like earrings that have a man being electrocuted, right? Like she has all these like subtle signs showing her political values and i did not pick up that on the first time the second time really popped out to me like all the hints showing her as like this amazing badass character yeah I want her earrings. Please buy me some. Let's take a quick break. Hey, folks. Today's episode is brought to you by Rome Loud. Get your leggings, get your water bottles, get your tops for the summer. They got popping, bold fabrics and colors, and this business is ran by a black girl boss. So if you would like to shop Rome Loud and get 15% off, use the promo code HOTMESS15. That's HOTMESS15. Get your leggings, your biker shorts, and stunt on these hoes for the summer. I'll probably cut that I said hoes. Now let's get back to the show. So in our relationship, it's very clear that we don't have a single hero, you know, like. I think it's clear. I don't think it's clear. <laughs> and and that's actually oh, a very, Lord. that's a very um, socialist type of film, right? Like, I think the bourgeois filmmaking is all about having the individual hero who like comes in and saves the day. Pause. What the hell are you talking about? Like, you know, in, in a capitalistic market, right, mm-hmm. we we raise the individual as having all this autonomy and power. Okay. Right? That's what a bourgeois film yeah, is? That, yeah, that's a bourgeois film, right? Superman is so fucking American because it's all about the individual who can come in and save the day, as if individuals have that much power, and that as if we don't, as humans, interact in masses, as if you know, wealth is not inherited as if the uh, culture is not created by hundreds and millions of different minds coming together. Is this the word you're trying to say? Yeah. Bourgeoisie? Oh, bur- bourgeoisie. Bourgeoisie. Is that yeah, how we pronounce it? Bourgeoisie. Yeah. Yeah, bourgeoisie. I, did I pr- so I was homeschooled. We've talked about this, Amber. <laughs> I was homeschooled, and homeschoolers often have a difficult time, like, saying words that we just read in our heads all the time. But thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. You're the hero in this relationship. Right. That's what I was talking about. So uh, I will try to do a better job of not correcting your speech because I'm aware of that, but I still sometimes I, I'm genuinely confused. Okay. So bourgeoisie. Got it. Right. And what sort of struck me uh, was an article I read about how this film was anti-capitalistic in that sense that there is no individual hero. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Right. Like, Every action that happens from the unionization um, has to happen in collective action. So even the main character, he ends up going off on his own as the individual because, you know, his uncle's house is going to be foreclosed. And he decides to sell out his friends to become a power caller. And that individual action though it's going to help his uncle and help his family, it's ultimately about himself. And it ultimately causes his um, relationship with his girlfriend, uh, his fiance. I think, yeah, they're they're engaged with his fiance, uh, Detroit. So yeah, like, what do you think about that? Like, I mean, this idea of uh, the mass as the hero. I love that. I even love, and this is kind of an aside, but I love... Uh, 
board games that are cooperative in that way. Mm. I know you don't like those. But yeah. You remember like, that card game that we played with um, Jack and Tina at the lake? Yeah. I love that game because it's like we either we all win or we all lose. Pandemic is another cooperative game. Uh, <laughs> yes, there is a name of a game called Pandemic that we probably will never play again after this year that we had. But I love games like that. I know you're not the biggest fan of those games, though, sometimes. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, you know, we recently went to a pool party and I met someone there who um, who was really good at basketball in high school, like really chill, incredible you know, guy um, and uh, chill, incredible person. And we were just talking about like hyper masculinity in basketball. And he was very good. He ended up quitting his uh, high school basketball team and they had won like the championship three years in a row. And his, his uh, coach was mad at him, but he quit because the game was all about like the individual and reaching to the top. And he was really good when we were playing. I was like, oh, wow. And he, he's like, I haven't played since I was 17. He's my age. He's 31. So I, I, yeah, I mean that that's, that's a very like socialist anti-capitalistic thinking, like to think in terms of a mass. And I liked that this movie showed you like, okay, fine. You, you want to just think of yourself and you don't want to think about the masses. I'm going to take you all the way to the top. And I think we've all been at a, this is when this really resonated for me because um, like I said, many times on the show, I've used to be a high school teacher and I was doing all the right things and slowly climbing the ranks. Um, And I wasn't throwing anybody under the bus or like being a scab to do it. But I, but even that, when it came time to sort of like joining the teachers union, I was like, I'm not going to do this. Like, I I don't want to get in trouble. I got to, I'm up for a promotion next year, whatever, whatever. Um, And so I was slowly just sort of gaining momentum and I was a high performer at work. And then as I did more of it, I just was more and more miserable. And um, I think this movie did a great job walking Cassius through like, you want to get to the top, you want to go from you know, regal view floor to a power caller. We're going to show you what is at the top of this. And it's, it's essentially like, you know, when you get to the wizard of Oz and you pull that curtain back and you're like, Holy fuck. I've, I've aspired to this the whole time. I don't want this. And I feel that way. I mean, no shade. Like, I don't think they're ever going to hear this podcast, but like second city is the exact same fucking way, Ben. It's like, you're scratching and crawling and doing all these things you can do to get to the top and the highest performing position in that building as a performer is the main stage and you talk to anybody on the main stage cast they're fucking miserable they are lay mis you're like i don't want to aspire to this can you just share what the second city is for people who may not be chicagoans oh yeah sure so second city is a one of the most like reputable training centers uh for comedy in the city of chicago it's like if you ever hear like all the and, and they tell you this they sell you this from the minute you come in they're like tina fey trained here steve carell trained here stephen colbert trained here um so if you want to be a comedian in chicago you got to come through here even though in my mind i've been I, i've told better jokes like I said, at the public school lunch table than I do like in that building because I feel so much anxiety. It's like, <laughs> I don't need a training center, bitch. I went to public school in Georgia, okay? Go in there. That's a full comedy set. And I uh, I worked in an understudy contract at Second City for two to three years, um, which, which basically means your life is on pause. Like you are on call every single weekend to go on stage in the event that your lead or a couple of your leads, if, if you're at Second City, you're covering for like two or three girls, all in the people of color roles. So that would mean I would cover 
cover for, you know, black girl number three to Mexican girl number four. If you are a person of color who was out, I got to cover your contract instead of ever being put in a principal role. Am I lying, Ben? <laughs> no, you're Lesbian not. number eight. Whatever I looked like that day, they're going to put you in the role, which I have, you know, whatever. Um, Anything for the, you know, the production of monetary value, right? Like that, that's what, yeah. that's they're what like, they're about. Yeah, because they're like, well, what what's the difference between a black girl who's a lesbian versus a black girl who's Mexican who's a black girl who's a lesbian versus a, like it, it, you you just look like other so we're gonna cast you in that as every time somebody is out right. I, I want to go back to something you said before about your experience at your school right because okay. I remember very similarly at my school when we were trying to get unionization is that we submitted a FOIA which is uh, essentially a free information act in which uh, private uh, public institutions or nonprofit institutions have to release their financial information. And what what I discovered is that teachers in my school who worked way less than me, who had way less responsibilities, were getting, you know, almost twice as much as I was making. And I think you didn't you have a similar experience? Not so much. Or I would ask people, like, I'm thinking about asking for a raise at the end of the year. What What do you think I should ask for? And they would tell me to ask for something. I'm like, damn, is that how much you can pay? Like, you just slowly figure out, like, that in, in teaching high school at, like, I, charter school. I, sh- I could have sworn to God that, like, you were getting paid less than some first-year teachers who had just oh, started. Probably. Like, white, I think specifically white first-year teachers. I remember you were pissed. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what the scenario was, but I mean, come on now. Likely. Yeah. That was likely happening. And, I mean, that's what this this film shows really well is that you, it, so the management, uh, one of the managers, um, her, her name is uh, Debo Cherry, but it's spelled debauchery. <laughs> sort of. She's great. Yeah, she's great. But she's always taught, you know, she's trying to convince the workers saying things like, you know, what about who cares about getting more money? You know, the real thing that matters is media, social media capital, you know, money's going down the drain. And it just reminded me all these things that administration tries to tell their teachers, things like, you know, the joy is really in the teaching, right? Like, they try to sell you on all this idea that... And when you leave, the, they try to make you feel guilty. They're like, you're really going to leave this community and these yeah. kids? And you're like... The yeah. labor the labor is in the love. Like, the love is in the labor and not in, you know, the funding. And then w- when you try to ask, ask for more money, especially in teaching, because you're supposed to be just doing it out of the goodness of your heart, which I think there's an element of that. That is why I do it. It's fun. I would not do it if it wasn't fun. I wouldn't do it if I didn't love teaching children. But there is this level of manipulation there, which is so capitalistic. Like, for example, uh, at this call center, they have this thing called stick to the script. And one of the big things about uh, STIS or whatever it's you know called is everything can be a selling point. So it's like your grandma just died from cancer. How can you get that person to buy from you? Everything is about manipulation. Everything is about getting people to buy shit from you. I mean, I I feel like it's so interesting now that you've become like an influencer that that is sort of what you have to do. Which part? You have to make everything a selling point. Like, how do you keep your ethics? 
Well, we have gone through things like that before when people have tried to like, you know, lowball us with offers and we just have to curve these people. Do you mean like that? Or do you no. mean like when people present bullshit products that they yeah. want to Yeah, so, so I think, I think yeah, there's <laughs> two different. You'll probably find like there's two, two ads two. on our page because I tell everyone, no, 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 higher, higher, higher. And yeah. then eventually they're like, fuck you, bitch. Well, yeah, <laughs> I think there's two elements. There's two things going on is that you lowball the labor. Yeah. So people, I think, are still starting to understand that a social media influencer is a legitimate job. Yeah. You are working all the time to do that. You also get me to work frequently to yeah, do that. Yeah, you too. complained about that at the top of the show. Complain. We heard you. But even that, Ben, I, whenever brands are coming at me and they're like, why is this rate so high? It's like, I have to wait for Ben to get off of work. Like, this, these are two motherfuckers that you want right here. I got to create the content, create the bit, like you'll be okay and then they're like no like i don't understand why you can't just do it for this amount of money it's like okay bye <laughs> okay so so that's the first part the second part is uh selling products that don't fucking work that yeah. are and that you manipulate the buyer into having which is so capitalistic and this film plays it for laughs so you're laughing but you're also learning and you're also sort of engaging in this like anti-capitalistic um, power move. Like, I mean, the movie is so is so strong in that point is that it just points out the absurdity and of capitalistic thinking, and specifically when it comes to manipulation. And I want to tell um, for those of you who don't know me very well, I I'm just like my father. I have ethics to the point where it'll probably kill me one day. Um, I, t I tell the story to Ben once before, but one time somebody gave me the wrong change back at a Panera Bread, and I tripped three times leaving the store because I felt that guilty about it. So when it comes to these brands reaching out to me and wanting me to post, like I had this one brand recently um, that wanted me to promote like sort of these like hair care drops that make your hair grow, and they take about three to six months to see the growth. And this company's like, hey, we'll pay you this much to advertise this product. Uh, we need it up by like, you know, June 29th. And it's like, well, this product takes months for the the changes. So I was like, I want to test the product and then see how it goes. And they're like, well, we need it up by this date. And I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I know a lot of people are thinking to themselves like, girl, you got bills to pay or whatever. But it's it's really, you get torn between a rock and a hard place when you're like, I cannot sell a bullshit product to somebody that I have not tested, that I have not trialed. Um, and, and risk that injuring them or whatever. It's just not, I, I would trip three times coming out of the, out of the freaking Instagram thing, you, you know, out of the, out of the Panera bread. So that's really hard. And I'm probably, you know, every now and then Ben's like, bitch, bring a check in this house of some no, sort. No, I, I would <laughs> every never. Every now and then you're kind of like, Amber, you could have sold that product, but go off. No, I, okay, you're, I, you're nice I no, I don't, I don't want that to happen like because please, i don't want to sell don't. products i want to create comedy and i want that to be what sustains me so i think i'm there's a part of us that are just holding off as long as we can yeah you're, you're being super idealistic in that sense I but i i think you have to keep your ethics at one point like you have to draw a line and there's there's this great line where uh you know, like Keith Stanfield's character has sort of made it big. He's moved out of his uncle's garage and he's gotten this like beautiful apartment and him and his girlfriend are sort of fighting because she calls him a scab. 
And at one point he's like, yeah, but like who doesn't participate in like selling, you know, in, in capitalism? Who doesn't participate in that? And she's like, wait a minute. There's a difference here. Like there's levels of, of participation. You are literally selling slave labor, right? That is what you're doing. She's like, I can't fuck with you anymore. Like I, I can't. And, and and then she fucked his best friend. And then and then she <laughs> then she has sex with uh, which which that whole uh, scenario is like you know she got she got a fuck out and then they get back together <laughs> and then moving on like it wasn't like this big explosive I moment with that hard yeah I, I thought that was like a nice little touch all right let's talk about we're over here <laughs> like normalize sleeping with your friends for have you ever this is right have you ever slept with a friend of yours friend you don't have to obviously share their name but uh yeah <laughs> okay did you feel guilty? Did you end up telling them? Uh, it, it actually became an issue, and I did not get in, invited to said friend's wedding. Oh, no. Yeah, Benjamin. it's actually a sort of sad experience, but... I'm so sorry. Well, one time in college, I was trying to talk to this guy, and, I, and he wasn't feeling me, so I was like, oh, well, maybe... This is college logic. Like, maybe if I fuck his roommate, he'll get jealous. Right. Did it work? <laughs> no, it didn't. So I ended up like spite fucking this dude that I didn't even. He was cute too, but he just wasn't as fine as his roommate. Yeah, let's actually on the topic of Kevin, fucking... if you're listening, I'm just kidding. <laughs> let's get on to the topic of fucking though. So the other <laughs> thing that changed the second time, I we didn't talk about this on the first part of the show, but Army Hammer. Oh shit, bitch! Uh, Army Hammer plays Stephen Lift. Armand you know, Hammer is in hot sort of, water this year. Sort of like Steve Jobs, Steve Lift, and he's the owner of Worry Free, which is basically like a whole joke on prisons and how prison labor is normalized and now in our current in our current world, right? Sure. And they, you know, Boots Riley plays with comedy when he's showing Worry Free facilities, but they create lifetime contracts, like lifetime, like. Which essentially means you don't have to pay any of these people. So, and they it, also have their own like commercials and stuff that promote it because one of their commercials is like a MTV Cribs spoof called which, Spots. Which I didn't catch the first time watching that. Of course, you did. But since you know, being in three years into our relationship since watching the two it, it in 2018, of course I've watched MTV Cribs now since I've been with you. So I, mm -hmm. I got that reference, which was which was great. They did this thing of like, look how happy our employees are, you know, like come uh, come join, and the employees in the video look miserable. But yeah, all right, Ar so, Army Hammer. So he uh, he's awful. He's awful. He's awful. He's awful. Uh, but. He's been he was put on blast this year for participating in a little bit of like cannibalism, like cannibalistic yeah, sex. It wasn't as black and white as that. So he was definitely like harassing this woman and he's harassed past girlfriends in the past, like sex. I shouldn't say harassed, sexually assaulted women. Um, I think he also has a BDSM food cannibal fetish of some sort. But I think what what was more shocking for headlines was like army hammer is into cannibalism. Like that was like the shock value of that. But the, but that headline sort of over overshadowed the story of like, no, he sexually harasses and assaults women. Uh, and in a few incidences, he's asked for this, but that's all under the umbrella of assault uh, against people. But so, so these women were sort of like, 
shooed in the corner. It was like, hush, hush, hush. We want to hear just about the cannibalism. And if he didn't do that to you, we, we're not really trying to hear it. It's sort of how oh. it blew up in the media. Oh, yeah. awful. So anyway, Army Hammer. And he's the villain in this. In the villain in this. And he, essentially, you were talking about getting all the way to the top. So the thing that turns... Uh, uh, cash, Cassius, uh, Cash back to his friends and starts unionizing is when he discovers that Stephen Lift, aka Army Hammer, he's planning on turning worry free slaves into Equisapiens, which are basically horse people with massive dicks. And he wants uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character, Cash, to become a horse person and be like a Martin Luther King horse man. And his and this is the words of Stephen Lift, become like an MLK so that the horse people are not brought into rebellion. Mm-hmm. He's like, you'll be our man inside. It, it's so weird. And we see the horse people, it's super shocking, and you start to enter into the realm of the crazy, fantastic. And there's... This line that Army Hammer keeps saying, which hits so differently now, which is saying, he he keeps saying, I'm not some crazy person. Like, there's a reason why I'm doing this. Look, horse people are just stronger than humans. And it, it sort of taps into this whole idea that at the end of capitalism, right, we we turn humans into non-human entities. They become like robotic labor. They become Equisapien labor. And cattle and, and yes, yeah, subhuman. And I think, I remember the first time I saw that in the movie, I was like, wait, what? Why did they take it that far? Why didn't they just show humans in chains? And then, oh, we've seen that and we didn't give a fuck. So it it's we we see sweatshops and and it's not shocking to us. We've been desensitized to those images. So they so Boots Riley and the team they had to think of like what's something so outlandish that people would still be shocked by what's and and they're not shocked though, right? Because what happens is is Cash. Well, the people in the film are not shocked. Okay. So Cash has this video of these horse people and them being abused, and he goes on all these TV shows to show the abuse. And what happens? It backfires. They're like, you know, Worry Free has found a way uh, to hack the human genome and to create like this great, you know, scientific development. And And he gets even more popular. He gets even more popular. And you're like, oh, this is how capitalism works, right? And... It's so disheartening. And then eventually, I think the only way to resolve this is through fighting, right? Through violence, through... Um, looting. I said it. Looting. looting. <laughs> through looting. Through through forming a coup, if you, if you, if you may, which is Boots Riley's um, collective. His band is called The Coup. Check it out. It. They're great. Yeah. Uh, and I think that the film sort of ends with that. But I, w- I want to talk a little bit about... Um, yeah, our last big theme. Our, our last big the theme, because you know, as as Cash Green has embraced his white voice and he's moving his way up into the top, it really shows this like in, this incredible what I would call assimilation, right? This assimilation into whiteness, which is a huge theme, another theme that dominates this. Um, 
And we, you can write all about different kinds of assimilation, right? Assimilating into dress, assimilating into uh, the types of entertainment you have. But Boots Riley's decision to assimilate specifically on voice was so like metaphorical for like assimilation as a whole. And um, <laughs> there's like this element, I think, of code switching but this is something more that he's tapping into, right? Yeah, it's past the actual tone and um, clarity of the voice, which I think is always so interesting because when I think about in the past when I have been called an Oreo or like, damn, or I, I remember vividly one time, and I actually checked this person for doing this, but um, I used to teach a lot of yoga classes um, in High Park, which is uh, near like south side of Chicago I wouldn't call it like south side of Chicago but it's south uh, and it's a more diverse neighborhood it's a more black neighborhood and I used to teach yoga classes there I got relocated to the Streeterville location which is a more affluent uh, white neighborhood and then there was an opportunity to sub a class back in High Park so I was like oh I want to go see all my friends at High Park like, let me go and so I started teaching this class down there and it was great and one of the white teachers at the desk was like after the class finished, she was like, I hardly recognize you in there. I guess you've been in Streeterville too long. I heard the white girl voice come out. And I was like, I'm sorry. I don't understand what you're saying. She was like, oh, you just sounded really different. You know, she she tried to like backpedal. And I was thinking to myself, like, why? It, it's not even the tone and clarity of my voice that made you say that comment. It is the fact that now that I am a more confident teacher, that now I'm a more comfortable teacher, authentic and experienced teacher. And now that I have sort of found that comfort in myself, what you're saying to me is you're saying like the comfort that I hear in your voice is a kind to a white girl's. So why are you so comfortable? That's what I hear when people come up to me and say like, oh, I, I feel like I hear your white voice. And I'm just kind of like, oh, I'm comfortable now. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a young, anxious new teacher. I've been in the game a little bit longer. Right. And Boots Riley specifically addresses that because Cash is, you know, at one point he's, he says like, oh, people say I have a white voice. And he unpacks the white voice uh, played by the wonderful uh, Donald Glover uh, uh, Langston, who teaches him the white voice. Uh, Danny Glover. Danny Glover, not Donald. Uh, Danny Donald Glover's from like Atlanta. Oh right, or right. Childish Gambino. You know. Sorry. Uh, Danny Glover mm -hmm. teaches him from Angels in the Outfield. Great uh, film. The color purple. Oh, the color purple. Lethal too. weapon. Lethal weapon. He's an icon. Yes, and so he teaches him. No, the white voice is like not having a care in the world, and that the white voice is a kind of mentality, right? Yeah, it's a mindset. And uh, there's this like throwaway line where. You know, Cash is having a drink with all his friends, and Sal at one point says, like, Italians aren't white. He's like, when when have Italians been white? And uh, Squeeze, who's like the union organizer who gets everybody, um, or you know, unionized, he says, oh, Italians have been white for about 60 years, right? Like, whiteness is not based solely on the color of your skin, right? Whiteness is a kind of mentality, mm. Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's, well, that's why I said it's not solely, right? But it's a level yeah. of mentality. Or when I think about like a Candace Owens, I was like, there is a, a whiteness and comfort to your aura. Like, because I, I, I do not like when people just call black people white. Like, I think that's 
unfair and and it's untrue and it's like no matter how misinformed you are you can still be the descendant of african slaves like that's weird but there is a level of like comfort and whiteness and violence in in what she is saying that is you know lethal whiteness right and i i think there's a there's a difference of you're you're assimilating into not because you're not transforming like into an equisapien you're assimilating into white culture Right. And I think that's yeah. what he's getting at. And it just made me think of um uh it's in It's a Wonderful Life. You remember we yeah. watched that and Mr. Uh, Potter at one point um says something like derogatory to old Italians. Italians. He's mm-hmm. like, Oh, those garlic eaters, right? Like at those at that point, Italians had not been assimilated into white culture. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you know, this film is direct, directly referencing that point of American history is saying so much about assimilation and that you, especially uh, for a caller, a phone caller at a call center, you can assimilate into whiteness. Mm-hmm. You're not literally transforming into a white person, but you're assimilating into white uh, standards and, and white norms and now and when that happens you sort of lose your sense of self you lose your name and i was thinking you know uh omari hardwick which again he hit that actor hits differently now but he <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like the he's a black man who's also become a power caller but his name's never mentioned and i think it's important mr blank and i think it's important to to recognize like he has become nameless he's he's fully assimilated into the white dominant culture to a point that he is willing to sell out another black man Mm -hmm. to become an equisapien yes and he has like a hunger games sort of like vibe to his mustache and clothes like stylistically so he is i think they try to really double down on like he has completely been you know, dipped into the culture and drink the Kool-Aid or whatever analogy you want to use there. Yeah. Yeah. I just do. I really want to, you know, for anybody out there who is a black person who has been told like you, you sound white, you sound like Oreo. Like to that, I just tell people like, tell people like I'm not, I'm just comfortable. Like white people are not the only people that get to be comfortable and authentic in their own voice. And, um, I'm, I'm not, walking around like I'm afraid all the time. Like, that's what I hear now when people try to come at me with that bullshit. Right, and that that's not what the white voice means in this film. The white voice means right. that you are able to manipulate and to control people. That too. Like I can do that with my voice, Ben. I am a voice actor. I'm just kidding. No, but, yeah, yeah. But no, that's like what the white voice is. The white voice is literally like a spell that you force people to do what you want to do. In this case, getting them to buy things maybe that they don't need. Right. Uh, so essentially the film ends with the call center unionizing cash green, getting back with his friends, but unbeknownst to him, he actually took the Equisapien cocaine yes. and he turns into an Equisapien at the end of the film. But don't worry. He goes to Army Hammer's house with a bunch of the other Equisapiens to get the serum. And only through the collective action is he able to break in yes. to the villainous Steve Lift, a.k.a. Army Hammer, we in the film. Co-op. Yes. All right. So what you you mentioned one side to me. I had one side. If you're not familiar with the show, a side is where we just like say one thing we don't like about it. So uh, 
<sighs> my deep side was the love story between Detroit and Cassius. It just wasn't necessary. They could have just been friends the whole yeah. time. I wasn't mm-hmm. invested in their love. I wasn't invested in their like engagement, whatever. I, it, it was just unnecessary. I actually felt Squeeze and Detroit had more chemistry for chemistry. Sure. Yeah. For show, but you know they love they love their Tessa Thompson's as like the femme fatale. Like she was a badass artist, vigilante activist on her own. She did not need to be in love with Lakeith Stanfield, but they're both two very hot people in Hollywood. So like, you know, you know how Hollywood has you, to have a love story. You know who else is a really hot person in Hollywood? Forrest who? Whitaker. What? He played he played the first Equisapien. Oh, did Hilarious. he? Yeah. I was like, what is this coming from? Yeah, he, yeah People he, be liking to drag Force Whitaker, but I really love him. He's great. He's he's amazing. Um, Not drag him, but make fun of his like lazy eye, which again, I'm just like, that's he's, old. He's like an award-winning he, actor. And like, director. Yeah. And director. He's, an, he's a phenomenal director. I also loved him in Jingle Jangle, which we covered oh. on the show. Okay. Ben, we have gassed up this movie enough. Why don't you warp up the show? In conclusion, Sorry to Bother You is a proletariat union film in the same realm of Norma Ray. And at that note, fuck capitalism. Fuck it. Let's go start a coup. A coup. A coup. A coup? Let's go start a coup. It's like stage a coup. Let's, let's stage a coup. Socialist forever. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week for episode 42, we're going all the way back. We'll be watching Eve's Bayou, directed by Casey Lemons. I just came back from the Bayou, y'all. I had an amazing time in New Orleans, Louisiana. Everything from beignets to voodoo, all of it. So we wanted to watch something that was similar to that. So be sure to check out Eve's Bayou, featuring a tiny but very talented Journey Smollett. And we will see y'all next week for the show. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.